Welcome to the ATM Podcast, where we discuss all the latest news in the football world. We dive into budgets, transfers, interesting fixtures, while sprinkling in just a little bit of salacious player news too. Episodes are uploaded every Tuesday and Thursday and are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the ATM Podcast. We are also available on YouTube, where we will be posting episode segments and other bonus content. We hope you guys enjoy our podcast. Drop us a like, even a review. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the ATM podcast. My name is Manasha Kirimi. I am with Tabangwedisi today. Unfortunately, our Bakwe couldn't join us today because he had to be a victim of load shedding. So, Eskom, you really suck. Because of you, Obakwe cannot be here so that we can make fun of him for Arsenal bottling the league. So, hey, Eskom, you are my banners, but you have saved Obakwe, at least for the time being, from being laughed at because he will be here on Thursday's episode where we will laugh at him then. So, to get into it, Arsenal have lost 3-0 at home to Brighton, which all but, which in all but name, has flushed yeah. their title hopes down the drain. Uh, this is great. Because we all know Albaque was going to be an unbearable winner. He was going to be annoying. So I am very happy that Arsenal lost. But before we come to the game, I look at this thing in two ways. With my heart being very happy that Arsenal aren't going to win the league because their fans were going to be very annoying. But I also look at it in a sad way because this was Arsenal's best chance to win the league. I've been very open about that in previous episodes. And they had an eight-point lead at a point in time and they've just drawn too many games. They were obviously going to lose the City game. You can't legislate for a juggernaut, basically. But the results against Southampton, Liverpool to a certain extent, considering where they were at that point in the season, before certain players started playing well again, most notably Trent Alexander-Arnold, drawing to Southampton, the worst team in the league without a doubt, losing to Brighton as well, at home, Nohal. So they've just fallen short at the finish line and everyone talks about William Saliba the injury really costing them which he has been a big loss but also I think what has cost them is Thomas Partey hasn't been playing as well as he used to be proving again that Casemiro is the best DM in the league 
in the league <laughs> and not Thomas Partey. Yeah. So his form, he was eventually dropped for Jorginho. So I think that's also killed them because Partey didn't play well. Overall, I think Arsenal will look at this season. When all the heartbreak is gone and all the tears have dried, they can look at it and say, look, man, yes, we fell at the final hurdle, but we've accomplished our main goal, which is Champions League football. We can strengthen the squad next season because we'll have now the revenue from the Champions League. So, and there's overall a lot of sympathy for Arsenal that I've seen online. A lot of people feel that, ah, they had to compete with City, a club with infinite resources, the best players, excellent squad depth, the best coach, and, as mentioned before, infinite money from a state. And that's fair and that's true. But the counter-argument to that is when you have an opportunity to win the league, the league, you take it. I don't know why I'm saying lead all of a sudden. Like, oh my God. But (laughs) this was their best chance to win the league. United are improving. Chelsea, which we're going to get onto later in the show, are bringing in Maurizio Pochettino. And Liverpool are starting to get their ducks in a row. They're playing a lot better, and it seems that they are going to rebuild and find new players under Klopp. So I think Arsenal will look back at it as a bit of a missed opportunity, even though the season was a success. That's before we get into the game where we will laugh at them. But that's in terms of the league. And to continue on from that, I think Arsenal not winning this league with the opportunity they had is bad for the Premier League in the sense that City have won five of the last six league titles. And with Haaland there, we're becoming the Farmers League, guys. All the jokes make about France and Germany, we're becoming the Farmers League now. So, we all know that the Premier League markets itself as the best league in the world and the most competitive, which I do feel it is, especially with the other teams. But at the top of the race, City are just too good. They have a world-class coach, world-class players, world-class resources. So depending on how things go next season with the other clubs, most notably Liverpool, Arsenal and United, because I feel those are the clubs best placed to challenge them, depending on how the transfer windows go. City winning, winning isn't good for how the league likes to market itself as this competitive league when it comes to title races. Because for a while this year, it was competitive. 
And then Arsenal just started dropping points and dropping points. And when City started to catch them, you never got the sense that City were going to lose any of their games and that they were going to drop any of their points. Because towards the end of the season, we've seen this in the past few years, that they never drop points. They are relentless and they just win and win and win and win. And they seem to thrive when they're chasing somebody or in competition with somebody. Like yeah. with Liverpool on the final day, when they even when they were down 2-0 to Aston Villa, Gundogan just comes on and basically wins the league for City on the final day. So those are my thoughts in terms of the league and Arsenal for the future. In terms of the game, Brighton were just so good. And like Roberto De Zerbi said in his press conference before the game, you are going to see the real Brighton. This was after they were beaten 5-1 by Everton and Brighton showed up. They played really well. I think a standout from that game was the fullback in Purvis Estupinian. He scored his first goal for the club as well. And I think he also got an assist. And then overall, Brighton just dominated them. We Speaking yeah. of A, we said that Kaoru Mitoma had a good game and slaughtered Ben White. And EVO yeah. had a moment to forget for one of their goals where he was basically going to tie his laces when the ball was still in play and he should have just jumped. And Ramsdale didn't do well for one of their goals. He played out a poor pass and eventually it allowed for one of their players to score. I'm not sure if it was Undev or Estupinian for that goal. It was probably Undev. It was Undev. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually the heads just dropped and Arsenal, thankfully, they lost the league on this day. So those are pretty yeah. much my thoughts on the game. Okay. Um, with this loss, uh, you know, Arsenal have conceded 25 goals at home in this year's Premier League season, which is their joint most in a single campaign. So... You know, I, I'm quite shocked that they that they were able to concede this many goals in the, especially at home. You know, I'm quite I'm quite shocked at that. But overall, yeah, Arsenal didn't look like they were ever gonna come into this game because Brighton were just dominant from the get go. They pressed up high. Um, Arsenal weren't able to play from the back as they usually do, and. Um, you could argue that maybe Martinelli didn't look too healthy out there today because he, he didn't look like he had the sharpness. And honestly, I feel like Arsenal were mentally and physically drained. You know, mentally because they just lost. They were controlling the season for the for majority of, of the whole campaign. And then, you know, they've had a couple of disappointing throws to Southampton and Liverpool which really affected them. And I would say they were physically drained because they don't have the type of depth that City has. You know, City has 
has the best squad in the league till now for pro- probably the past five seasons in the league, in my opinion. So, yeah, you know, I think it was a good it was a good title charge by by Arsenal, but overall, uh, they just weren't able to get over the line with it. Yeah, that's true. For me, as mentioned before, the two key things were the injury to Saliba and Thomas Partey's loss of form. Yeah. Oh, and as we've mentioned before, overall, Arsenal will see this as a success. And they should because it's still a young team. Despite what I say about this being their best chance at winning the league, Overall, it is a success. Even though they've missed their best chance, they're in the Champions League. They're going to be able to strengthen the squad. And unless Arteta falls out with a lot of these players, they should have another successful season. So that's pretty much it. Anything else on your end in regards to this? I feel like we, we, we pretty much hit the nail on this. Um... I think what Arsenal need to do, they're gonna they're gonna have to uh, assess the season properly, you know, at the end of the season, uh, because I think I believe the the next win City get, um, and if Arsenal draw or lose, City win the league. So they they're gonna have to assess. They're gonna have to assess after their last game of the season, and really look at bringing in some more depth, and maybe maybe two centre backs, uh, CDM in case. Party gets injured. I know they have Jorginho, but Jorginho is not really a ball winner. And then maybe they're going to have to look at some reinforcement at, at, at that striker position because I don't think Nketiah is good enough. Even though they have Balogun coming, which is a big positive for them. But yeah, I think next season... I think Balogun is going to be... Sorry to cut you there, but I think Balogun is going to be used to raise funds for transfers. If that's the case, you know, that will be unfortunate because Balogun was one of the players that Arsenal fans were looking forward to next season. So I don't I don't really see that happening, but yeah, I, but we never know what happens next season. We'll, we 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 don't know we don't know if that is the case, but right now I think uh, all the Arsenal fans are under the impression that Balogun's going to come in to fight for that striker position with Gabriel Jesus and Eddie Nketiah. All right. And with that said, we are going to look to Man City's 3-0 victory over Everton. It was a straightforward win for Man City. A brace for Elkai Gundogan, who scored a very good free kick in this game. And... Another goal for the machine, Erling Haaland, who is really starting to make the Premier League look like a farmer's league. Yeah. And with this victory, they charge again to the Premier League. Uh, I saw some of this game, and Everton were basically be- just dominated. I mean, even Calvin Phillips got a run out again in this game. And Ilkay Gundogan and Holland were just really the standout players. 
Another player who barely gets any game time and Sergio Gomez came on. So this was yeah. pretty much a regulatory win for City. Nothing much to write home about for me. Same here, man. I don't, I don't think, I don't think uh, um, anyone ever felt like Everton was going to win this game. Even though after, I believe, the Gundogan free kick, Tokowski got a header and it hit the bar, but they didn't really look like like anything else was going to happen besides that response this whole game. You know, yeah, and definitely a regular, I mean, a regular uh, standard win for for City. And I think with this win, this this was Holland's thirty sixth goal of the season. You know, he's he's a absolute goal machine. I have to give it to I have to give it to him because earlier in the in the season, where in the Community Shield, I didn't think I thought the Premier League might be too tough for him, but I was sadly mistaken by 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 the response he had in the opening game of the season. And, yeah, I think City are going to go on to win the league from this point on. With that said, you touched on Holland, but I also want to touch on another player. And that player is Ilkay Gundogan. He's had a mm. very good season and scored back-to-back braces. In this game against Everton and against Leeds. He's been linked with a move for a free transfer to Barca because his contract expires at the end of this season. And one something that was suggested by one of our listeners in Javan Torbert was that who should replace Ilkay Gundogan with a twist that we should not include Jude Bellingham. So I wanted I did it in two ways. I looked at it in two scenarios and then I'm going to touch on what I think will happen. So my ideal scenario for me and what I want to see happen is that if he leaves they move Jack Grealish to central midfield because he played there for Aston Villa and he played there really well. I also think he could play there very well for City. And then they move Phil Foden to his position. Because I want to see Phil Foden really, really break out and play regularly. And that's not to say Phil Foden doesn't play or isn't important to Manchester City. He plays significant a significant amount of minutes. Pep likes him, Pep values him, and he does contribute, whether it's with assists or whether it's with goals. But he's never really been, and I wouldn't say he's ever been, like, a regular in the Man City team. And he's not one of those guys you look at and say, you're the first guy on the team sheet. That's usually been, in my time following Man City and seeing who they usually play, that's usually been Edison, and then it's Rodri, and then it's De Bruyne, Holland, and Jack Grealish. But that's really just for this season. So, and we all know that Foden is talented, and he's shown it on a and whenever he's had minutes. So I want to see him really play that thirty-plus game season, where he's really just starting and not 
starting some games, then coming off the bench, being left out for a couple of games. So I really want to see that happen. Another scenario that I was thinking of is that Ilkay Gundogan was someone who would score goals, create goals, and also he's not really known for really his defensive work, but I do see some games where he does do the defensive work because there have been games... He's quite quite decent at it. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but... He's quite decent on the on the defensive end. I'm not I'm not trying to say he's a he's a munch, but he, he does his job fairly well there. Uh, I've not I've not seen much of that, but I do know he has played in the number six role. I know he did it for Dortmund, and I know at times he did it for City. But he strikes me more as a box to box guy. So yeah. if they were to buy someone. I would, who I would go for, and Obakwe will kill me for this, and he'll be sad. I would go for them buying Martin Odegaard. He's really kicked on at Arsenal after wasting his years at Real Madrid, getting things back on track at Sociedad, and then kicking on further at Arsenal. This season, he scored 15 goals from midfield, if I'm not mistaken. And he still assisted a good amount of goals. He creates chances. He scores goals. And he also does that defensive work, which Pep likes. So I think if Gundogan leaves, he would be a good replacement. And look, if the money is right, I think Arsenal will accept now, what I think will happen personally is because Barca want to bring Lionel Messi back, they've been very public about the fact that they want to bring Messi back. Yeah. Barca still have some financial problems that they have to sort out. They still have to sell players. I think that Gundogan will actually stay put. He'll sign a new deal. And he'll stay because Barca still need to, still are a mess financially, if we're honest. And if they sign Messi and don't really shift any players, because aside from Busquets, there's no other notable player that they're able to really just shift. I think Gundogan will not be able to go to Barca because aside from Messi, Barca do need other players. I think in midfield, and to be honest, I don't think they even need Gundogan, to be honest, because you have a midfield of Pedri, Gavi, and De Jong. Frank Kessier can come in. They have Sergio Roberto that can play there as well. They have this player from Valencia that they have on loan there called Nico Gonzalez, who they also rate. So I don't think they even need Ilkay Gundogan. So I think Gundogan just ends up staying, getting a better deal, and enjoying more trophies at City. So that's right. my, those are my scenarios. All right, let me let me let me debate on you on this because yeah, that take I don't really agree with it. 
Um, I'm gonna go from from Jack Grealish. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on this. You know, this year Jack Grealish definitely been able to earn a big role. Uh, he's played majority of the games, but where I disagree with 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 Jack Grealish's case is him playing in in a in 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 a deeper role. You know, I don't I don't I don't agree with that. I think his skills are best utilized on the wing. Um, he's one of City's best players. Uh, you know. In terms of one-on-ones, um, and and also he's been he's been thriving there. So I don't really see why you would want to move him to a central midfield position, especially when you have uh, Bernardo Silva there. And there's also been reports that McAllister's been uh, linked with a move to Manchester City as well, because he's been adamant of playing Champions League football next season. So. That might be that might be a very, a big possibility for him, and also, I think I don't think, I think for Foden to come back into this team, right? If you look at how they played against Everton, they played a four a four two three one, right? And they had Julian Alvarez just in the in behind Holland. Uh, uh, you know, if if Foden was going, if if uh, um. Jack Grealish was going to play anyway. It's probably that position. But I think that position's taken, man. You know, because you could have Foden there. You could have Bernardo Silva there. Bernardo Silva played a big role for Monaco in central midfield. Uh, he's played early, in his earlier seasons for City. He also played in that central midfield position. So Pep's got options there in that position. So I, I don't think he'd ever think of moving Jack Grealish there. And then to come to Martin Odegaard, dude, Arsenal are not going to sell Martin Odegaard at any price. That one I, I will stand by. They is, he's, he's their captain and he's their most important player. So it's going to cost you. So the price for Martin Odegaard is going to be valued at whatever uh, Arsenal value him at. Because they don't need to sell him and they're not under pressure of selling him. You know, Arsenal's been able to handle their finances pretty well. So, for Odegaard to, to, to leave, it's going to cost you upwards, you know, of $100 million. It might cost you $150 million, you know. They, and they might put that price out there just to scare any potential buyers of Odegaard. Because he has a long-term contract at Arsenal. So, I don't, I don't think that's a very realistic option. I think McAllister is a is, is a very realistic one because he'll only cost them about sixty million, and he's still twenty four years old. So, I think, so I think McAllister is a much more realistic option for City in case Gundogan does leave. But best case scenario, I think Gundogan stays for City. Uh to counter that, my argument is. Everyone has a price, TB. Everyone has a price. I mean, we've signed RVP from Arsenal. City have signed... Who have they signed? Which notable Arsenal player? There's been a, quite a few. There's yeah, been Adebayo that they signed. Nasri. You see? Everyone has a price. But If but the listen. money is good... I'm saying, look, but, man. But, but if listen. the money is good... Yeah, yeah. 
If the money is good, they will sell. I would pay between 80 to 100 million for Odegaard. That's how good he's been. And in terms of Jack Grealish, I know it's two different teams, Aston Villa and Man City. And I know you said it's a deeper role, but it's not him playing as a number six. It's more him playing as a eight box or a box. ten. And he'll be able to yeah, take on players that. still, which is something he can do and something he enjoys. He'll still be able to run with the ball. He'll still be able to carry it. So I think he could be able to thrive in the central midfield spot. But I do think that your Bernardo Silva shout is a good one. Okay. Uh, okay, to come back to Odegaard now. This is what I got to say, man. You, you got to understand. When it came to Van Persie and Nasri, Adebayor, you know, players at Gil Clichy as well, and Sagna. When it came to those former Arsenal players, those guys wanted to leave. Especially Van, Van Persie was on his last year before he went to Man United. This, this, this scenario is way different. You know, I don't think... They're not going to sell. They're not going to sell Odegaard, especially... Not for any price between eighty to hundred, you know it's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you upwards hundred and it's gonna cost you about a hundred and fifty million. And they're not gonna sell Odegaard at any price. We've seen Caicedo, we've seen the Caicedo bird from Brighton get rejected, and I believe that bird was was eighty million or eighty three million. I'm not too sure, but it was a very high bird from Brighton. So it's not that every team has their price. You gotta understand. You if if you competing and you understand what what you wanna achieve, right? You're not just gonna sell players, especially players who, who are very important to your club. You're not just gonna sell them in jail. You know, you're gonna have to, because now you gotta go out and go look up for for a player of Odegaard standard. And I don't think Arsenal will be able to find that next season. Even if Arsenal had to go in for McAllister, why would they do that and sell sell Odegaard and bring in McAllister? I don't think that scenario ever happens. They'd rather have Odegaard there and still bring in McAllister and, and other guys, you know, maybe Declan Rice as well. So I think Arsenal's only going to... I think Arsenal's thought process for next season is to only add on to their squad. They're not going to think of selling, especially vital players like Odegaard. He's their captain, and he's been their best performing player, arguably, this season. You know, next to Saka, maybe. But, yeah, I don't think... I don't. I think they're going to be priced out of that deal. And coming back to Jack Grealish, I, I, I just don't see it, man. Him playing a number eight role for City, I, I don't see it. I don't see... Pep thinking of playing him in that position, especially because there's there's other players there. The, you could have De Bruyne next to Rodri with Julian Alvarez at camp, or you could have De Bruyne next to Rodri with um with like a Foden or even Grealish at camp. You know, I don't think if it's not the number ten position or or the wing position, I don't I don't see any other role for Jack Grealish in that team. Personally, 
Uh, I suppose that's fair. I do see it. I genuinely think if you give him a shot in a number 8 role or a number 10, I think Jack Grealish will thrive. He's shown that he can do what Pep wants him to do. And even those in the midfield, and I'm not talking about the wide positions, they have to defend as well. Jack Grealish has shown that he can defend. So I do think in midfield he will be able to thrive. To come to Odegaard, I still stand by what I said. If the price is right, the club will sell. Yes, you could argue that he's their captain, but I don't think he's their most important player. I think that Saka, because whenever Arsenal are chasing, what Arteta tends to do, he will he, one of the people he takes off is Odegaard. And even when he's not having a good game, for for example, Arteta will still keep Spokayo Saka on for the whole 90 minutes. So I don't think Odegaard is the most important player. I think, and this is a player that, due to the injuries, has really faded into the background and memory. If he can get fit... And I'm not saying he's as good as Odegaard. And he might not ever be as good as Odegaard. But he was very highly rated at one point. By a lot of Arsenal fans. And even Obakwe rated him. If he can get fit. And not suffer with injuries. And have a very good preseason. I think they do have someone that can do what Odegaard can do in Emil Smith's role, but that's only if he gets fit. The other player that I think Arsenal have hopes for in doing some of what Odegaard does is Fabio Vieira. So I do think there is a succession plan for Odegaard if he were to leave. But okay. like you, yeah, yes. I don't think City will sell. I mean, Arsenal will sell, but Arsenal are better run now. So I think if Odegaard were to leave, they'll want nice money for him, 80 to 100 million. Because Too Arsenal little. have been linked with other players as well. They want to strengthen the centre-backs. They want to add depth, like you said. They've been linked with Mark Gerhi to add some depth in the centre-back position because Rob Holding is not good enough for a title-challenging Arsenal team. He's not even good enough to be third choice. I think he's fourth or fifth choice at best, and that's it. They've also been linked with Wilfred Zaha on a free transfer, which I think will be a brilliant signing. Although that, what do you do with the other players there? Because they have Trossard, you have Nketiah, and you have Zaha. How will Arteta keep them all happy? So I don't think Odegaard going will be the worst thing in the world for them. 
And another player who I'd argue is more important, even though I don't think he's the best CDM in the league, is Thomas Partey. Obakwe, and you know this too, has been very open about how much Arsenal at one stage struggled without Partey in the team. And now his form has gone off the boil. Another player that I think is more important than Odegaard is another player we've mentioned on today's episode in William Saliba. So I do think Odegaard is replaceable, even though he is important, but I do think he's replaceable. Uh, here's, here's my counter-argument on that. You mentioned Pablo Vieri and Emil Smithrow, right? And you said Saka's probably Arsenal's most important player, right? Let me give you let me give you a practical example. Would you would you argue would you argue and say Rashford is United's best player? Yes. You would you would. Okay. Yeah. So in order for Rashford to even get those those opportunities, right? Do you understand you need an orchestrator from the midfield who can bring the ball up and deliver it to guys like Rashford? To do their thing up top because those guys are in charge of scoring goals, but also also just being a goal threat. Let me not say scoring goals specifically, just being a goal threat. So it also just assists. But the orchestrator, the orchestrator is the most important player on the pitch. And let me tell you something: uh, eighty to hundred million for Odegaard doesn't make sense. If you're gonna, if you're gonna lure Arsenal away, right? The bid has to be outrageous. It's gotta be 150 million. So I don't see I don't see guys I don't see Smith Rowe being able to fill Odegaard's role, even him with him fully fit. I don't see Pablo Pablo Vieri's been he he's been a fire. He's been a four out of ten for Arsenal this whole season. He's not, he hasn't done anything notable. And Coming to your replacements, to your possible replacements, right? You say if you offload, if you offload um, Odegaard, you say that Arsenal can go out and go buy some depth, right? Arsenal's finances are in a much better position. So they're not in any position where they have to offload anyone. So they just, they're in a position where they can actually add on to the team. They don't have to offload Odegaard. To go and get like players like Mark Gaye from Crystal Palace. They don't need to offload Odegaard to go get guys like Declan Rice or Moises Caicedo. They don't need to offload. So and in order and why would you offload your most important player? Even if he's not your best player, he's definitely your most important player. Because he he builds that link between the defense and going forward, right? I wouldn't say Thomas Partey is more important than him because Thomas Partey is the, he's the destroyer of the team, meaning he's meant to destroy the opposition's play and he's meant to give it to Odegaard so that Odegaard can orchestrate, you know, thread the balls in through the winger, to the wingers, you know, prob- probably get on the end of some goals, get some assists, and and it's from the number eight position specifically. He's not doing that as a ten. Smith Rowe, Emil Smith Rowe, 
is a number 10 and the winger. So you see, the two positions are much different between those two players. So I don't see I don't see Arsenal be go going out to go and find. I don't think Arsenal can go out and go find possible replacements for Odegaard unless it's uh, Jude Bellingham. If we talk, if we're being honest, if it's not that, I don't I don't I don't see Arsenal selling him. Well, my counter argument, you mentioned Declan Rice. We know how much West Ham want for him. So yeah. Odegaard can get you a lot of good money. And West Ham want about 150. So 80 to 100 million from Odegaard gets you the money. And I still don't think Odegaard's the important, most important player. As we've said, with some of the players they've lost and whose form has dipped, Odegaard hasn't always been able to carry that team out. So I think they are you can... Saying this season, are you saying this season he didn't carry this team? Nah, I think Saka had a better season than him. You could argue even Martinelli had a better season. And look... Even Granite Xhaka, I'd go as far as to say, had a better season. He's really shown, he's like, and Obaku also says it this way, he's the captain without the captain's armband. My guy, you, there's no Arsenal fan in the world that's going to agree with what you're saying right now. All right, let's share this recording. Guys. If you agree with me, let me know in the comments. But we'll see what the fans say, TB. And uh, with that said, we can move on to Manchester United's 2-0 victory over Wolves. So this was a very regulatory 2-0 win for United. Uh, solid performance, nothing spectacular really. I think the most things to come out of this game was that Anthony Martial scored. Anthony had a very good yeah. game. And Starboy Ganacho came on from the bench and scored. And then on a more down note was the performance of Jaden Sancho. Like, usually... When a player is struggling for form, things get leaked about what happens. It's like player X is carrying an injury or player X is dealing with some personal stuff that are affecting him. And these things get published on articles online and you hear about it or they're struggling with some mental issues. With Jaden Sancho, the only thing we know about was the mental issues which he already got time to go and deal with. So he's not injured as well. There's no personal issues that have been reported. The coach isn't throwing him under the bus in public, slating his performances, but they're still not good. So I just find it very bizarre. Like, we don't know what's happening. Yeah. And what's frustrating is that if we were to sell him, 
he'd probably go to that other club, do well. And then you'll probably see all these hit pieces online saying, hey, United's environment, and look at how these <laughs> players struggle. Because I remember yeah. it when Romelu Lukaku was leading into to the Europa League final against Sevilla, but I digress. So I just find it very bizarre what's happened to Jaden Sancho. And the season's almost over. Ahmad Diallo is coming back. And I really want to see him get a shot. Anthony is actually picking up form for once this season. And Ganacho... Ganacho is set for a breakout campaign next year. So I think Sancho's Manchester United career is almost done because even with the time he got off, he showed in flashes that he can contribute. He scored against Leeds. He had that goal against Tottenham. But he never really dominated a game. So... You don't really know what's wrong, actually. And where will he go and which club will take a chance on him? Because United are not going to get anywhere close to what they paid for him. And United have historically been bad at selling players, whether that's trying, sorry, whether that's trying to get what they paid for a player or even trying to get a profit for the player. I mean, we usually sell them at a loss. Whether yeah. that's someone like a Lukaku or an Angel Di Maria. So, this is just very bizarre for me. I look, I, I agree with you. Um, I think when it comes to the Sancho situation, if he doesn't start the season off hot next season, uh, we gotta have the series. Sorry to cut like, you there. I don't think he even gets next season because you'll have Diallo, you'll have Ganacho who wants to have a breakout campaign, and the club they are gonna strengthen, especially if we get taken over by Ineos and or especially the Qataris. Okay, um, this is where I'm going to disagree with you on. Look, with Diallo, right, um, there's two possibilities. Uh, here's the best situation, I feel, for Diallo, despite him having a, an amazing season at Sunderland. Um, I, have to, I have to commend him on that. But I think the best thing for Diallo would, would, would be to stay at Sunderland for one more season. Reason why? Um... He showed me that him getting regular game time is contributing to his improvement on the pitch. You know, so I don't think we should stop that momentum because I still feel like he he doesn't have uh, a Premier League ready body yet. You know, I still I feel like he'll get bullied off the ball by a lot of the Premier League defenders, uh, especially when you look at all the fullbacks in the Premier League. Um. And, and and here's another thing. Sancho's on massive wages and he's got certain clauses in his contract where 
if he doesn't reach a certain amount of games, you know, United are going to be held liable for that. So I think next season, if we don't sell him, he's definitely going to play games. So unfortunately, you know, we, we kind of stuck with Sancho unless the rumors are right on, on Sancho possibly going back to Dortmund on loan. You know, I don't know how, how true that is. But if it is, I feel like that's what Sancho should do. And I feel like that that's probably what's going to allow Diallo to come in and get some game time. Because I don't think, especially when you look at how much we're paying Sancho, I don't see United allowing Sancho to just be like that fifth choice who's not who's barely getting any game time, you know. But... Yeah, I think Ganacho's going to take his place next season for sure in the starting lineup. I think I agree with you on that end. I think next season he's going to have his breakout season. I'm looking forward to it as well. And to touch up on the game. Yo man, I have to I have to give props to I have to give props to to Wolves keeper because that guy Bentley was just making a lot of good saves in that game. Wolves didn't have any shots on target the whole game. But he, I think he's the reason why that game wasn't 4 not. You know, Anthony's first opportunity in the game, I, I still feel like he should have he should have at least uh, got that shot on target. But a better option would have been to thread that ball in for Martial. Would have had, would have had open poles, if we're being honest. Um, if I'm going to rate Anthony's performance that game, it would be like a 7 out of 10. And Ganacho barely needed 20 minutes to get off the mark. He, I'm, I'm looking forward to him. You know, he's, he's exactly he's exactly what, what the fans need right now. Because he's bringing that spark back to us. But Bruno's showing us exactly why he's so essential. And why I personally believe he's probably... The, you know, he's probably only second to De Bruyne in this league in terms of the best midfielder. But, you know... Don't let Obakwe hear you say that. Hey, man. I, I will I will, I will, will stand on this. I don't I don't care about Odegaard. You know, he, Odegaard <laughs> doesn't have Bruno's, Bruno's work rate. And he doesn't have Bruno's passing as well. I think Bruno's passing is very un, has been very underrated this season. He would have had way more assists if guys like Anthony could finish, you know, especially Vegas who's been useless. And, you know, even though Rashford's had a great, a good season, Rashford's missed a couple of opportunities that Bruno's given to him as well. So I think Bruno's definitely only second to De Bruyne in, in this league, if I'm being honest with you. All right. Just to also touch up, before I touch up on the game, I just wanted to make the the last of my Jaden Sancho counter-arguments. You said that United won't really allow him to just sit down and be a fifth-choice winger. Did I get that right? Yeah. My counter-argument is our 80 million captain who is basically fifth choice and at times has been benched for Luke Shaw at centre-back. The mm. other counter-argument is, well, look what he did with Ronaldo. 
customary Ronaldo dig there. He got rid of your boy, as he should. And then, in terms of Sancho's wages and him being difficult to let go, the best case scenario if United can't find a buyer is to do what a lot of clubs tend to do. And that's find a club that's willing to take him, for argument's sake, let's just say Dortmund. And be like, okay, Dortmund, you can have Jaden back. Pay about 70% of his wages. We'll cover the other 30. And then that's it. Maybe Sancho's value goes up. And then, depending on his relationship with Tinach, maybe there'll be a club that's willing to buy him. That's the best case scenario. In terms of the game, I do agree with you about David Bentley. He had a very good game. And just to get another dig in there, David De Gea, David Bentley showed how you distribute a ball properly. That's how you distribute. <laughs> and was very... And David De Gea, with this win, with the 2-0 win, has actually won the golden glove. Yeah. He's won it. All yeah, that, <laughs> the best they can do is that I think the ones that are in contention still are Allison. I forget who the other one was. Ramsdale was still in contention, but obviously Arsenal, until Arsenal lost the Brighton game, he's no longer in, in, in contention. So yeah. I think that's very telling. And how it speaks to how well the defense has been playing because De Gea's shot stopping, commanding of the box. He's not had, he's had a very mixed bag. There have been some very good saves, but there have been a lot of clangers and overall poor play. So I think it says more about how well the defense has been doing than De Gea that. He's won Golden Glove, which is a great achievement for him. But this takes us mostly to where the top four race is. So right now, Liverpool are battering Leicester. They are leading 2-0 with a brace from Curtis Jones. And they're just playing better. So I'm still concerned about the top four race. I still think we'll go over the line because we've got Bournemouth, which is an away game, but they have nothing to play for. So I think we'll win that game. And then we have home games against Chelsea, which, guys, we cannot lose that game. No, I will not accept anything less. And the last game is against Fulham which is a home game. Fulham are a good team, but we're the home team. They have nothing to play for. They're safe. We should win that game. But I think we are now in a situation where we have to win all our games because Liverpool are playing well. Whether it's home or away, they are just winning and winning and winning and winning and winning. And Some the last two games, yeah, wins the win, my man. And then the yeah. last two games is 
a home game against Aston Villa, which is very winnable, and an away game against Southampton, which I'm not even going to bother with that because Southampton, they're just not good. So they have... Liverpool are currently on... They're on a six-match winning streak. Leeds, Nottingham Forest, West Ham, Spurs, Fulham, Brentford. And if they beat, hang on for Leicester, it's a six-game winning streak. So I think we're in a situation where we just have to win all our games. I don't think Liverpool are going to drop points. So we just have to win every game. We do have a game in hand. So that's basically the situation. But I do think still think that in the end we'll get over the line. Do you, so do you think that's do you think top. Newcastle could do you think Newcastle could drop off because we are tied on uh points with them but they are ahead of us <clears> because <throat> of course of the goal difference. I very much doubt that Newcastle are going to drop off because they have a game against Brighton, but they're the home team, mm-hmm. and I think they will win. They're playing Leicester, who don't look like they're going to stay up, and I think they'll beat Leicester. They're facing Chelsea, who are not playing well, so... I think that we won't be able to catch Newcastle. That's just my opinion. And with that yeah. said, it's a nice segue to Chelsea again, who all reports are leading and saying that Maurizio Pochettino is going to be hired by Chelsea. And before, I think it's actually a very good appointment. But two things need to happen. He needs to get a lot of players out the door. And Todd Bowley must just stay out of stay out of his way. <laughs> and there are a lot of young players in that Chelsea team, the likes of Mudrick, Benoit Bediashile, oh. Enzo Fernandez. I think there's a lot to work with in that Chelsea squad. So what he needs to do, Pochettino, he needs to get a lot of players out the door. I think they'll need to strengthen in the goalkeeper position as well as the striker position for me. What do you think? Well, you know, I I think very good appointment from, from Chelsea, to be honest. Um, you know, Pochettino's known for he's known for using four two three one, the four two three one formation, which is usually used as a counter attacking formation. But you know, the way he uses it, he uses it much differently than what most managers use that formation for. You know, Pochettino likes to mix it up depending on how his opponents are set up, and you know, fans are accustomed to seeing him play his plan B formation in games where out of nowhere he'll switch his team to a 3-4-3 and with the players that they have you know they'll utilize that formation properly with the likes of having Ben Chilwell as the left wing back you know Reese James at right wing back they got Thiago Silva 
They've got two very agile defenders in Badi Eshile and Fofana, you know, who can also play the ball going forward. But a position where they have to strengthen for sure is that goalkeeper department because, you know, he's known for you. He's known for building up play from the goalkeeper position. You know, if you look back at his time at Tottenham, you know, when Loris was was in his prime, Loris was particularly very well at doing this at the distribution of the ball, and so they're gonna have to. They're going to have to strengthen the goalkeeper dis- uh, position. I do believe that they have the midfielders forward, even though Enzo is not the most polished player defensively. He gives you everything else, though. We, I'm talking progressive passes, uh, link-up play. He knows how to orchestrate the midfield. So I think he's he's got, he's got the foundation there, but he's definitely gonna have to get rid of a couple of guys um he's used to using a classic number nine so you know with Lukaku coming back that could be a positive because he has been uh playing well especially in the last four months at Inter Milan so you know it's there's, there's a lot of positives for him going forward but I do agree with you on on one on on, on another thing where you where you mentioned that he's gonna have to get rid of a couple of players in that dressing room so yeah, I, I, I'm really, I'm really scared about this appointment because I think it's a very good one. You know, I think Chelsea could come back strong next season, uh, especially with with Pochettino. He knows how to organize a team properly. He's not dealing with the egos that he had at PSG. He's gonna deal with players that are willing to work with him and listen to him, and also the respect element is gonna be there as well. So. Yeah, I think overall, I'll give this appointment a 10 out of 10. You're probably happy it's not a Manchester United appointment. <laughs> but I'll also give it a 10 out of 10. I think this will go very, very well. The only way I see it failing is if he doesn't get enough players out the door. And yeah. if the players don't really buy in or are able to do what he wants because like you said there aren't any players with very huge egos so that's pretty much my thoughts on it so to really we're almost there at the end actually just to almost close it out we are going to touch on something in the in our local game in SA so, Idiski Times reported that Leopards will be back. So it says here, just a few days after their relegation from the Motepe Foundation Championship was confirmed, Black Leopards yeah. have brought the status of All-Stars FC. Story by at Makonko underdash M at Idiski Times. So, for context, in South African football, if you get relegated from the DSTV Premiership, which is the first division, and you're like, and you as an owner decide, I don't want to spend a year in the second division, 
and then you can decide, okay, Pirates are still in the first division. I'm going to buy their a DSTV premiership status. That way, the relegated team can go into the first division, even though they were relegated. We've seen this happen when Cape Town City bought the status of Mpumalanga Black Aces or when Royal AM under Mam Kize bought the status of Bloom Celtic. So what Leopards have done isn't anything new. Yeah. But I think this isn't good for the not competitiveness. I wouldn't even say competitiveness, really. I would say if you want for our football and our leagues to be taken seriously, you can't be having a situation where somebody can buy the status of another team because then what's the point of playing in that league when, okay, I'll just buy a status. I think a better way to describe it is that the value of the competition becomes basically worthless, for lack of a better word. And don't get me wrong, if I'm in that position where I can buy a status to play in the DSTV Premiership, if the system allows me, I'm going to take advantage but this is something we'll cover in a later episode where we go over how we want to improve the PSL and the lower divisions. One thing we should do is scrap buying statuses for me. Yeah. Although, I will say, if I was in the position, I would buy the status. <laughs> no, that's for sure, man. The The reason why I hate this, this move um, is because... Man, what's the point? What's the point of of being competitive in this league if you can just buy your way into success? You know, I hate I hate the fact that so that we allow this in South African football because now you have a case where where now um, you know the foot like like the football team don't want to work hard on on really strengthening the structures of the team in order to be successful they don't want to they don't they don't want to they don't want to earn things off of merit they just want to buy their way and you know i hate this this approach i i don't know why it's allowed in our league because anyone could come because there's so many we have a lot of rich people in africa so anyone can come with their teams and just buy status and you know, uh, I believe I believe that 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 they bought. Uh, I believe Black Leopards bought this team uh, for twelve million rand. You know, they were holding out on the payment initially. They had the nine million rand rejected by All Stars. Um, that was the first. That was the first bird, and then they increased it to twelve million. Um, I just feel like this shouldn't be allowed in our local league. You know, teams should teams should work hard to stay in the league. Teams should work hard to get promoted, and it's not good for for the fans also because now the fans, the fans, the fans aren't really gonna be there as well because 
Uh, it just looks like a money laundering scheme to me, man, if I'm being honest with you. But I could be very wrong. But that, that's, a, that's a debate for another day. To be honest, I think when it comes to fans, it really depends on which status you buy. Because with this story, I don't think it's going to cause the type of anger and furore because it's All-Stars FC, a team that we don't know much about. But Black Leopards has been a we team that we've know. known for a long time. Yeah. I don't I don't I, I don't remember seeing a lot of anger and fury when Cape Town City bought the status of Mpumalanga Black Aces. Although I will say when Royal AM bought Bloom Celtic status, there was hell. Those sure. fans wanted to burn Bloemfontein down to the ground. Sure, so I also man. think that fans it really depends on the fan base of the particular club. Like, for instance, I think if someone were to try and come and buy the status of the big three, that's Pirates, Sundowns, Sundown. and Chiefs, there would be hell. Like, yeah. Joburg would burn to the ground. The, the management of those clubs, especially Chiefs and Pirates, would For have sure. to leave the country because their fans would want blood. I know I'm exaggerating here, but Chiefs and Pirates are very loved clubs. But I think it's really also about the system and the culture you set. And you are right about the competitiveness. I don't really agree with the fans thing. Because aside from a few clubs like the Big Three and Supersport, and Celtic that are back now. I wouldn't yeah. say there's really a strong fan culture among PSL teams. Cause no, you never sure. really see you never really see huge crowds unless it's Soweto Derby. I mean whenever I watch a sorry? Or Sundowns. With Sundowns there are a good amount of fans, but what disappoints me with Sundowns is that when there's a Tswane derby, there's never really been that sort of... I've never seen a game where I'm like, wow, this is a great atmosphere. I see better atmospheres when they're playing Chiefs or Pirates or playing some team in the CAF Champions League. Yeah. But overall, I do agree with you. This thing should be scrapped. I think that's one way of improving our local game. So that's pretty much it. And then to round off the episode, we're going to go with a player and Mabena of the week. So will you kick us off there? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think my player of the week for sure has to be Gunduan. My guy had two goals and an assist. Um, you know, Gunduan just seems to be the clutch player for City because we've seen him do this in previous seasons where towards the end of the season he just he just starts to carry the team. He he could arguably be <laughs> the greatest German player of all time in the Premier League. And I would put him high I would rate him higher than Michael Ballack even. Um 
but yeah with that that's an argument for for maybe another episode and my my banner of the week i think it's a tough one between Jaden sancho and ramsdale uh, but i would give it to ramsdale because he had that he had that massive error in that second goal which gave undev a one-on-one chance against him uh which he eventually buried so yeah, that's that's my player and my banner of the week. Okay, uh, my player of the week is gonna be Purvis Estupinian from Brighton. He had a very good game against Arsenal and capped it off with a goal and an assist. In terms of my banner of the week. I'm going to go with Patrick Bamford. So for context, we know that Leeds are in a relegation battle. They were 1-0 up after a goal from Luke Ayling. And then they got a penalty, actually. Junior Firpo was fouled in the box by, I don't remember who the player was from Newcastle. And then Patrick Bamford stepped up and then... He didn't score his penalty, but it wasn't a very convincing penalty and he didn't look confident when he was coming up to take it. And then Newcastle got an equalizer and then they went 2-1 up. Thankfully, Leeds got an equalizer to take it to 2-2, but this wasn't good for their fight against relegation. They're still in the relegation zone, two points behind Everton. So they have to be glad that Man City batted Everton. So they're still in with the chance of getting out the relegation zone. But that pretty much rounds it off for the episode and what we wanted to talk about. Any last closing thoughts, TB? Uh, nah, I think I'm, I'm all good, man. Alright, okay guys, that's the episode. We really enjoyed making that one. We've even gone over time. Uh, just a few housekeeping announcements, don't worry. Albaque will be back for the next episode where we will make fun of him. And then just follow our social media pages on Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. We're available at the ATM Podcast, where recently we have uploaded a new video to our YouTube page, where we talk about Cardiff City and football's moral bankruptcy. And then, if you guys would like to see us talk about anything else, or anything of that you might like to hear us speak about, uh, just leave us a comment, and we'll speak about it on the show. And yeah, that's pretty much it. This is Manashe Kirimi signing out. I hope you guys have a great week and deuces.